think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. It's not very well ventilated down there. For Christ's sake, Derek, you've been down there one day. Talk to me in 30 years. Brain, just willy-nilly. Yeah, perfect gold content. So, mm -hmm. okay, now that we're recording, Matt. Oh, hold on. Let me let me perfect. Run it back. Can't... Yeah. Say it again. <clears throat> I love the cover. So I like the cover of the book. <laughs> it is a good cover. It's a great cover. I'm gonna be honest. I got that. Uh, I've been drinking. I'm halfway down a bottle of wine, and I got that uh, rosy cheek kind of warm feeling. Hey, it's the Christmas season, that... baby. <laughs> so if you have rosy cheeks, does that mean you're drinking a rosé? <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, oh boy. Okay. Let's let's calibrate it. Let's dial it in. <laughs> Starting Rose, out Rose O'Donnell. Huh? <laughs> Roseo. Rosario Dawson would have been better. Hey, speaking of Rosario no. Dawson, does anyone want to talk about the Mandalorian? Oh <laughs> I do. We can't. But this is not a Mandalorian podcast. <laughs> no, it makes it in through the like you know margins anyway. But no. Anyway, I want to talk about how Matt hasn't watched it yet. Yeah, that I don't that's understand. Crazy. Who cares? It's Why do you a... give a shit? Well, because because it's... it's fucking great. It's Star Wars, and you're a nerd. Because <laughs> it's good. This is the you're kind good. of toxic nerd culture I'm talking about. Everyone's like. <laughs> Why you didn't see that there was a crate dragon in the episode two? Like, no, that's know. not toxic nerd culture. Toxic nerd culture is when people are like, "Fucking the tr new trilogy is so bad." But really, what I really wanted is to see the crate dragon rape Ray and then kill her. <laughs> yeah, that's there's true. a different word for for that besides toxic. That's a little that's beyond toxic, right? Well, yes, it is. It's rape culture. Yeah, it's rape culture. <laughs> and Which is how you can rape. To add culture to the end of that word is is deeply, <laughs> deeply disturbing. Any time it is, yeah. It, it's a little but, bit of an oxymoron, which is uh, relates to our little literature podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why he's the Segway King. Not a big, not a boom. So, Paul, your choice, your introduction. Oh yes. Well, I chose I chose the minor. Welcome to Spinecrackers. Spinecrackers. <laughs> Crack. Uh, I chose I chose the minor because uh, I wanted to dive deeper into other Japanese writers besides Mirakami. Go ahead. Your hand can, is up. Can we get before we proceed? And you know. We probably should have done this before we even started recording. Can we get a a norming standardization session on how we're going to say this gentleman's name? The author? Yes. I was saying Natsume Sosuke. That that sounds pretty decent. Let's go with that. Natsume. I don't know Sosuke. if that's right. It looks like I I the, the way I was saying it in my head was either Soseki or Sasaki. <laughs> okay, I don't know why that made me laugh, but because <laughs> this book is so either... sucky, or something like that. Oh, was that foreshadowing? What? No, no, actually, no. Okay. But oh, good. I it. I'm gonna go with Natsume Natsume Sosuke. I think that's right. Okay. I don't know what that little uh... hard disagree, but I'll go with it. <laughs> 
what is the line over the O? This is stuff we, I didn't expect this to be such a big issue, but yeah. It's recurring. We should just, we need to just keep like, from now on only review people whose names we can like just unproblematically pronounce. Just like <laughs> Jim Ryan. <laughs> Today for the uh, uh, fifth week in a row, we have a book by uh, Tom Clancy. <laughs> I was literally just going to say Tom Clancy. Damn it. It's an easy name. <laughs> Very American. Okay, anyway. Now that I'm looking I'm sorry, Paul, go ahead. What why'd you Well, so... now now that I'm looking at the cover, I'm kind of thinking about the whole book now, but we should talk about that later. But uh <laughs> wow, wow. Um well, it's making me think. Uh well, I yeah, I chose this book because I have only read Murakami and one other Japanese author, the guy who wrote the, uh, you can do it. What was that? The box man. The box Kobo man. Abe. Kobo Abe. So I, I just thought, you know, let's stick with the theme of every once in a while reading and, a Japanese author. And Murakami is a friend of the podcast. Friend of the podcast. He is. Uh, Paul's, yep. Paul's favorite author. And he was on before, before we started recording, he was on. So we don't have that recording. Yeah, but we, he was here. Technical glitch. Well, yeah. Paul, I mean, first of all, it, Murakami wrote the foreword right to this book, and also, what was yeah. the book you read that referenced this a couple times? Or doesn't he uh, doesn't he drop this the name of this book in one of his own writings or stories? No, none of the books that I read were the ones that he dropped this book in. But after reading this book, I the last book I read by Murakami was Killing Commendatory, and that actually had a lot of similar ideas of this book. But I actually didn't know Murakami knew of this guy before I picked this book. It was a surprise to me when I bought it, and at the very top it says Haruka Murakami. <laughs> uh, Sosuke is like what? kind of a big deal, right? He's he's, he's yeah, one of these like yeah. sort of literary elders of Japan. Yeah, I mean, he wrote this book in what like 1908 and i didn't know that before i started reading it um but yeah murakami the forward i guess we should talk about the forward but murakami just absolutely like is like head over heels about this book yeah, in I particular think... by him and oh go ahead no i just think it's interesting that that one of the things that, that apparently yeah like zoski is is a really well-known like figure in japan but not so much in the states there's like a cut or in the west in general but apparently even in japan this particular book is kind of like not necessarily maligned but seen as just kind of like a, a an, an odd one out in terms of his over it doesn't really make sense um yeah it doesn't really it, it, yeah it tends keeps to be, saying it's like non-representative Right, and that his his like, work would be cohesive if not for this, and they kept saying all this kind of stuff, like, "Oh, not to pun intended, it's his minor work." Or something right. Like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn. So, uh, but but maybe we can get into all that. But so, Paul, what's what is this book about? Well, it's basically about. I mean, I would say that it's like. It's like a you know a, a scientist obviously goes underground and explores the depths of the earth and <laughs> sorry I was gonna try to make a joke where it's just journey to the center of the earth but I couldn't <laughs> get through it. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole thing planned out. I failed instantly. Um, no, this book is about like what? Like a 19-year-old runaway who <laughs> who uh, is basically very suicidal. <laughs> okay, we <laughs> Uh, we're, not, okay, we're not that was not suicide is not funny but that is not, not funny there's stuck. a hotline we got stuck on the on the journey to the center of the earth <laughs> with will ferrell shake it out shake it out <laughs> Fuck, oh yeah Ugh. My plan, my plan was just to read the the Wikipedia description of Journey to the Center of the Earth, but I, I couldn't get through it. Um, whew! All right, well, okay. So our main character is like a nineteen year runaway, and he is uh, from a wealthy family, and he wants to basically just like escape his his life, his his guilty. <laughs> angsty life and matt what are you laughing at i don't know i got got the giggles man i'm sorry (laughs) i'm trying i'm trying to do a freaking walkthrough right now (laughs) not right now come on (laughs) i mean natsume sosuke is he's basically jules vert this is a jules vert novel yes Mm -hmm. yeah but uh okay so he uh this guy this kid runs away and he's basically like his plan is to basically just like commit suicide somewhere i think like just to die he wants to he feels like embarrassed or guilt-stricken for whatever reason and he uh goes like up north towards the mountains and he meets I think he's like sitting in like a cafe or something or just like like a sushi bar and he he meets a guy who basically offers him a job i think it's pretty early on in the book and it's just like, like right hey, away man, do you yeah he's like do you want to be a miner you'll make you can be a do you want to be a miner it's pretty freaking cool <laughs> yeah and he <laughs> and uh he's just like all right sounds good I wanted to kill myself, but maybe this is a better way of killing myself. I think he he's actually like afraid of killing himself and he wants to just like uh live like a shitty life and die in that way and, uh, instead of just like instantly killing himself. Yeah, he he talks so, about it sort of like almost like long form like slow suicide. Yeah, whatever that means. Yeah. It was actually I was actually having some drawbacks to uh the Paul Oster book that I picked last a little bit of just like kind of slow, slow death by like not giving a shit right. other than like not just committing suicide right away. Uh, well, the, the, the kind of trap of Gabe's even question of you relaying the plot, which is, is like kind of made very clear right away is that the whole, it, it's interesting reading the forward kind of completely reorganized my perspective on this thing but i mean the the point was that there's not a plot there is literally the joke answer we've given a bunch uh sort of things happening in sequence yeah <laughs> uh yeah and 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 the 
the the the raw number of actual events that take pl- takes place is like very small. It's like it's like yeah. I mean, really, like you could just he he leaves home and we don't even see that he's already left at the beginning of the story. He meets Chozo. He goes to the mine, meets a couple more people on the way, uh, gets hired, gets a tour of the mine, and that's basically it. Like it, right. it's sort of broad strokes. Those are like all of the events that take place over the course of these like 230 pages or whatever it is. But you, know, you also know, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just saying, I think the time frame is something like two days uh-huh. and then in the last paragraph, five months. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And you also know pretty early on that he's going to quit the mine. I think it's in like the first 50 pages. He's like, and I also eventually quit my job at the mine. So you well, always so knew that was coming too. Because the novel is, is or I guess, okay, that's going to be a bone of contention. I call it, even calling it a novel. But the, the story, the text is written um, from the perspective of this unnamed narrator recalling these experiences that he's had from a future perspective. So like, we know he's moved on and left the mine and sort of is, you know, still alive and whatever, then writing this story down that we are now reading. Yeah. And I forget what the the turn of phrase I heard this from, but just like something about, you know, uh, needing to look at your past self with fond contempt mm-hmm. is kind of like the vibe that this guy especially seems to bring to his like analysis of a very like small p- portion of his life looking back. Well, I mean, I think we should probably talk about it right now. Like the most interesting aspect of the book for me was the interjection of like breaking the fourth wall, basically, right? That's what happens. Was it, would, would that be what you said? Like he basically like, notifies himself as being the narrator as being like a writer writing this novel and uh those interjections were really interesting to me Uh, you guys are looking at me like maybe that's not something you thought of but what do you mean or what do you think of that i don't know that he ever um addresses the reader directly which is sort of like the most like you know prototypical example of breaking the fourth wall but he does he he does he does he does actually say the word reader at least once so i i I always i thought he was definitely like breaking the fourth wall he definitely refers to himself often as the narrator and sort of does meta um some some meta commentary on like why am i going on and on about this stupid thing i should stop uh i'm gonna stop and then move on like that kind of thing like very often yeah there's there was Oh, well, I'm just going to say there's there's the there's definitely the awareness of a reader getting a theoretical reader getting impatient with him for his predilections as a writer. So I guess maybe in that way. And well, he, I mean, non novelist qualities. I wish that I, I wish that I underlined it, but I'm pretty freaking certain that he does actually say, like, I'm pretty sure you as a reader right now might be annoyed by what I'm saying about this at this moment. Like, he actually yeah. says something like that. So. I don't know. There's like I, I would not. I do not know how to classify this narration style because because of that. It's it was a really unique format for me that I really liked. It was very experimental. And after reading the foreword in particular, I was like, oh, this was a very experimental work for this author. Um, well, well, you mentioned like the box man, which I also thought of a little bit, basically. Um, 
just but like it's just crazy we had talked via text just like how it is it did also kind of uh impress me that this was written basically in 1907 really uh me and paul did, talked about that matt did not contribute to that conversation whatever okay no. well whatever you don't bring dredge that up i Too saw busy. it <laughs> too busy over the thanksgiving holidays to respond look but, well right. i'm agreeing now with that assessment that it's kind of impressive like this uh because you know in in the box man there's these very i guess developed techniques of kind of i don't know weird existentialist semi-postmodern uh literature to create the sensation of this person identity fluctuating and all this kind of stuff but you can see the the groundwork for that here a bit with uh you know this person who doesn't think of himself as a character which is this idea that he has in his head that you know does things that cohere but nothing really like coheres he's more like this uh flux or gradation of colors that keeps like going from one end of the spectrum to the next so it is, I think, like, yeah. it is definitely, I think there are definitely things in the text, and we can talk about this later, maybe when we get into some more detail about the events that happen in the characters. But there are certainly things that I think give away the time period that it was written in. Like, there are a lot of sort of, like, elite, like, really, like, 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 borderline racist and, uh, like, elitist class. Totally things that happen and and there's so there are things that that date the the book certainly but i think like everything you're saying is really true i was like just from a stylistic perspective like man this is like I, it's tough for me to believe that it, it, it you know I, I was so i was impressed yeah that it was came out when it did and in the sort of cultural milieu that it did because when when was beckett writing not that not then <laughs> Right, like like probably a decade yeah. later or something. At like, least. I mean, it just it reminded me of that of that kind of thing. These characters that are very overtly not characters in this sort of non-place. You know, that's just like a basically a, a dark room or something like abstract and weird. Like, I definitely I got those vibes. Well, yeah. aside from the actual like postmodern elements of it too, I just thought the the writing style and the humor was very modern also I, I i was laughing out loud a lot in this book i thought just the way sosuke wrote scenes and dialogue was just like it was hilarious and it, it i was even if it was written in like 1940 i would have been like oh that makes a little bit more sense but the, the fact that it was written in 1908 i was just like what is this is something lost in translation here maybe like is the is the translation like funnier than it really was? But I, 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 I'd expect that it isn't. I actually, I have to, I have to say that I, I did not read the afterword. I read the foreword, but not the afterword. So I didn't read the translators. Uh, okay, I'm glad you didn't either. But. Well, you guys are both officially uh, uh, off the show and <laughs> for, for the rest of the episode. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned Beckett, Matt. And yeah, Beckett wasn't really wasn't really writing until the 30s and, and, and 40s. Okay, he started writing in the in the 20s, but um, because more than anybody else, I mean, there was a lot of you know in in Murakami's foreword and in the translators afterward, there were a lot of other names sort of 
thrown around. Um, but the, the one that I got more than anything else was absolutely Beckett, both in sort of uh, style and, and sort of form, but also in some of the preoccupations uh, in the text as well are very kind of um, uh, things that resonate with, uh, with Beckett's work. Specifically, the one that jumped out to me was like one of, the, one of Beckett's overriding interests is the sort of like the you know for lack of a better phrase like the limits of the shit people can put up with and <laughs> and like how just how like degraded and debased human experience can can get before a person breaks and that's like to me one of one of the sort of central concerns of this book as well all the way from sort of the indignities that the main character goes through in the process of coming to the mine and what he sees going on in terms of the sort of living and working conditions at the mine itself. And the reasons, yeah, and, and the reasons why sometimes he's suddenly like finds it ennobling to do something that previously he fucking hated or thought was disgusting are super interesting. And I, I've highlighted a bunch, but I, I'm not going to try and scroll through, but yeah. Yeah, and a, and a lot of it has to do with this idea of like there being no central. I think I think it's important too because like again, it's a it's an adult of unknown age describing himself at nineteen, and it's like he's talking about how just fucking grub like and malleable he was too a little bit. He's like, this is not how I am anymore. But at the time, I was basically social tofu. I was just taking on whatever flavor. Uh, the surrounding environment was was like reflecting at me and i was basically this sort of reactive thing with no core so this is um i i did find a passage that i highlighted that made me think of beckett and this is one of a few but this is just the one that i happened on first um so this is for uh for 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 us paul it's 157 i i assume it's probably pretty close to that for you matt but this is where he's talking about um, he's arrived at the mine and he's in a, you know, one of these like essentially barracks where the mine workers live. I think they call them boilers in the book. Um, and he's trying to find a, 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 cl um, like a blanket to sleep on and they're all riddled with bed bugs. <laughs> and uh, so he says, uh, in its equal applicability to both insects and humans, this is an attractive theory uh, the beauty of which would surely be pleasing to philosophers, but I myself don't subscribe to it. I would say that it's not a matter of the bugs acting out of restraint or surfeit, but rather a loss of sensitivity on the part of the human beings who are eaten by them entirely as a result of habit. The bugs go on eating as before, but the humans no longer mind. Of course, there is a significant difference between not feeling it when you are eaten and not feeling it when you are not eaten. But since, in effect, the two are indistinguishable, there can be little practical, practical purpose in serving, served in debating the point. So I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> that is sad that i as someone who's experienced bed bugs for real oof ooh, i didn't know you had that experience that's yeah uh, i don't know how you would get uh acclimated just an extra layer of just like no way no way but but yeah oh. I mean, there were a lot of moments like that where like he just has this sort of like beck i don't know what the uh academic term is beckettian sort of like <laughs> there we are Kind of like I can't go on, I'll go on. Moments uh, that, yeah, that that I that sort of that 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 sort of uh, sense suffused the text for me. 
and this was even earlier. This is not as like developed because it's more towards the beginning. It's on 28 in the PDF, but for me, uh, but uh, just novelists congratulate themselves on their creation of this kind of character or that kind of character and readers pretend to talk knowingly about uh, character, but it all amounts to, uh, but all it amounts to is the same or to is that the writers are enjoying themselves writing lies and the readers are enjoying themselves reading lies. In fact, there is no such thing as character, something fixed and final. Um, and I, I was thinking about the fact that there's a lot of reference to psychology um, in for something from 1907 in Japan. I like I, I know that like, well, I, like it was maybe a, a, a burgeoning science in like 1860, but I feel like it was still mostly in Europe. And I, I don't know. It feels like if uh, Sosuke is maybe as someone of a, a, you know, quote unquote, higher breeding and more elitist, maybe he was more plugged into like uh, global cultural developments or something, but that's, it feels like something kind of bleeding edge for the time. Well, he himself was a college professor. And then, so he would have been kind of certainly in the upper crust of society, at least not, if not necessarily plugged into trends in psychology or anything like that, but um yeah, but, you know, potentially aware of that sort of thing for sure. I think Just, that influenced his uh, his overall personality and his writing style too, maybe too, because I don't know, like he does seem so ahead of his time. It's hard to not believe that it, his education or just, he was just like, he seemed to be like on, an, on a different plane than a lot of people or a lot of writers in his uh, generation, for sure. Well, I do, I do, I do claim uh, ignorance to early twentieth-century Japanese writers. Same. Uh, I don't really know well, what's I, going I, on. Me either, but I also I have to claim ignorance for not knowing who Beckett is until I looked him up just now, and I I'm like, oh yeah, I kind of know him, but I, I haven't read any Beckett. So he I, looks cool, I, right? I who? Beckett? Beckett, he's cool looking. Chad. Yeah, he looks he looks really <laughs> fucking cool. <laughs> Emaciated, cool Irish guy. He looks like Anthony Bourdain's great grandfather. <laughs> 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 oh, better, better than food, man. Bro, moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, Matt, I do, I do think you've you 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 hit on something important there, which is that part of a big, a big chunk of this book is sort of he he alternates back and forth between you know, sort of narrating events and like these like extended periods of like either philosophical discussion, like like sort of like these like debates on the nature, on human nature and character and, you know, uh, subjectivity. And like, I wouldn't say, while I wouldn't say it's like, I wouldn't call this stream of consciousness per se, because it is like narrating events um, with some like, subject subjective you know gloss on top of it it is almost like at, at points like borderline i would say that borderline phenomenological where it's sort of describing like in extreme detail the sort of like subjective um experience of sensations in a in am a, i allowed to say qualia now yeah yeah, yeah. yes <laughs> fucking employed it <laughs> <laughs> or qualia i don't know Qualia is the is the yeah it's 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 definitely qualia not qualia god damn it <laughs> totally off damn it Paul did you 
Well, here's another little thing that uh, occurs fairly early on. It's just called uh, when the question of responsibility comes up and we are accused of breaking faith, why is it that none of us even thinks to reply? Well, that's because my personality is nothing but memory fragments. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, I don't know, just like very quickly because we're essentially in the author's head thinking about him thinking about his thoughts as a 19 year old there's just that added layer of of i don't know uh esotericism to the the whole thing and uh he's just wrestling with this idea of whether or not he's composed of his limited experience plus kind of um pragmatic opportunistic contextual decision making at any given moment and then really there, again there's nothing else there and i don't but i can't tell what i can't tell is if his adult self still agree like he's looking back on it but if he still agrees with that entirely or how much is him thinking about being 19 and how much is him as himself the narrator we really don't get much in the way of sort of his current status like he mentions a few times that like uh, if people from my youth could see me as I am now, they would have such and such reaction or, or whatever, but we really don't have a sense of like what he's doing, how he's like, what he's gone on to do with his life or what his current attitudes are. Um, because again, he's sort of just, again, it's this sort of phenomenological recounting of this, these experiences that he's had from his own memory. It's also hashtag relatable. Yes. because uh you well, know. It is. I, I yeah i mean i i kind of thought of this as like a little bit of a coming of age group like a uh, novel like it was it was one of those reads where i was like if i read this at the age of 20 or 19 when i read catcher of catcher in the rye it probably wouldn't have, would have been a good book in the cycle along with the mountain lion which would have been at the top obviously but mm-hmm. i did i did have that sort of like this would have been a lot more relatable or it would have been a good thing to read at that age. But I still think because of the perspective of the narrator, it was still like really interesting to read now. And it doesn't, it doesn't solely make it a coming of age story alone. I, I actually like, um, I don't think of it not to start a debate this early, but I don't really see it as a coming of age story at all. And I think this is a, this is a point that even I think Murakami makes in the introduction is that like this character effectively doesn't change at all from the beginning to the end of the story. Like he has like yeah. a sort of new set of experiences and he kind of goes through a couple cycles of like, I want to die. Maybe I want to live. I want to die again. Uh, but like, there's no, you know, in a coming of age story, there's like some, some moment of transcendent realization or like, some moment of like crossing the barrier from youth to adulthood, something that there's some moment that you cannot really go back from that's changed you indelibly. And you just don't get this this story at all. Well, I would agree that it doesn't like to classify something as a coming of age story. Maybe it has to have those themes of change, but I'm just saying that like, as, as a 19 year old reader, if I read this, it would have been, it would have been effective to me. Yeah. So I I don't I don't think a coming of age story necessarily has to have uh, anything other than relatable writing to it. Like in, well, in this 
I just I think also it might be a coming of age story in a roundabout way because the narrator is the adult version of this person and clearly he has uh matured and has a more sophisticated outlook on this event. Like yeah, he him as a person did not radically change in the like literal time frame of the book, but like this guy, I mean it's 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 also it's a little dark in the sense that I feel like he just has a more sophisticated kind of theoretical layer uh that he can like put over himself and uh the past events like anybody, which is more what I meant by relatable, like just sort of looking back and be like, now I would know how you know, I have a more cynical eye about this person's motivations and now I know how to like contend with this. I wouldn't shed a tear for this fucking person, like but uh, so I think maybe it still counts as hmm. coming of age just because the same person is telling the story who's in the who's the main character. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, you have to you have to kind of like fill in the gaps of of how he grew up. Right. Um, does that discount it as being a coming of age story just because we don't know how he came of age and what he's doing now? I don't I don't necessarily think it does. I think it's still. Like, I, I, I don't think I would classify this, like, the top description of it as a coming-of-age story, but I, I think I would just say that, like, as a young reader, this would be a beneficial book to read for your psyche, especially if you're, like, a depressed kid. Like, yeah. this can relate to someone in college who's just, like, fucking depressed and anxiety-ridden and what has ever had a feeling about running away it's i mean it's like a it's a running away story mm-hmm. so well it's related, yeah. it's a it's relatable to a youth but it's also really relatable to someone who's in their 30s or early like late 20s like us or early 30s it's got that it's it's, <laughs> it's got that uh uh still you know kind of being published and it, it's like very prescient in, 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 I don't know how to phrase this right, but like there's a lot of talk of just self-consciousness and anxiety and uh, not knowing how to contend with these emotions that come from places you don't understand. Uh, that all feels still highly of uh, relevant now um, and is probably even more emphasized now or something. And I, I do think, you know, thinking on it again, I agree with everything you guys have said. It definitely is sort of like would would have been relevant in a different way, probably to me, had I read it at a different age. But I also think, and not to not to argue against myself here, I guess, but I do think that there is a a sort of critical moment where something happens. I don't know if it is if it rises to the level of coming of age or changing or whatever, but towards the end. And I don't know if we want to go through the plot in more detail, but but essentially he's arrived at the mine and he's sort of begged the mine boss to hire him on. And the guy finally relents, you know, he's initially to be like, you're too skinny. You've never actually worked in your life. You're a rich kid, blah, blah, blah. You're not going to make it here. And he's like, please come on, please, please. So ultimately he's like, fine, you know, tomorrow morning, go on a tour of the mine with this guy. They'll show you what's up. And if you make it through the day, basically, and want to keep working, then we'll talk about it. So he goes on the tour of the mine with this um, a, a sort of grizzled miner who's making fun of him and ribbing him the whole way and like sort of purposely trying to lose him in this, you know, maze of the of the mine, which I thought, by the way, like just as an aside to the point I'm making, like I, I really felt that like the description of the mine was like, it was so oppressive and <laughs> and just 
dark and and it really 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 disturbing to me yes yeah the 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 palpability of of the types of discomfort this character feels like i I felt so bad for this guy just the clay sodden rungs of the ladder he's trying not to slip off of and the fucking cold and like gradually walking through the tunnel that's like slowly filled with filling with water up to like (laughs) and like it's like is this normal and uh so I really, that was, the description of the mine was amazing. And also, okay, aside, uh, for the aside, it really reminded me of, um, there's a collection of like really, really short, almost like micro fiction, not micro fictions, but very short prose pieces that Beckett published you know, called um, Fizzles is the collection that they're published in. They're very short, like a page, two pages. And one of them is about a guy sort of just groping around blindly in what seems like a wet cave. And that's like the whole thing. And it almost felt like it was this, that section of this book distilled down into like 20 lines, which is like, yes, really interesting. So just another Beckett connection there for me. But anyway, oh. so he's down in the mine and this, his guide, uh, Hatsu, I think. Yeah. Is um, he loses his guide. Uh, and he's trying to sort of has this sense of pride. Like I'm gonna try to get my way out of here on my own. Um, he sees a miner, he thinks about asking for uh, directions but the guy's like too poor and dirty. And he feels like it would be beneath him to ask this person for directions. And so he moves on. And ultimately he finds Yasu who is this sort of like um, sage-like figure working deep down alone in the mine who happens to be very educated, share a little bit of the the, the main character's like background um, and had to sort of, because of circumstances, uh, flee and is hiding out in the mine essentially because he committed a, a heinous crime. Um, and that moment I thought could sort of rise to the level of that sort of coming of age moment because basically Yasu, the way I read it is that basically Yasu is just the main character. It's just the main character slash the sort of like Japanese national like super ego like uh yeah you know, telling him like he you know he says to him like hey um you should not be down here you're too smart it's it would be a big loss for the nation if someone is educated <laughs> you like came down here and became a minor and he sort of essentially tries to talk some sense into him um and so like yeah. and, and then he starts crying and but you know and then they just kind of sit there in this weird you know, moment alone, deep down in the mind. So I thought that could, could sort of, I mean, that was, that was an important moment anyway in the story. Yeah. Well, I think uh, up until that moment, I, I didn't, I was like, okay, so who is the miner? (laughs) And when, when Yasu came around, I was like, I think Yasu is the miner. I think he's, he's the actual, Mm. like if, if, if the, if the title of the book is named after any one character it's probably him and i was also thinking of uh i don't remember the character's name but there's a a character in catcher in the rye where the main character goes and like meets with his teacher late at night and he's like wearing a like a bathrobe or something and it's like this weird like almost homoerotic scene but i i actually i was thinking of that scene when he met yasu of just like this this more deeper connection with an older male character that he can relate to what did that character um, but, is part of the diocese and he's like uh yeah anyway yeah 
I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot different than that. I thought maybe it might turn into something like that, but that uh, that scene where he meets Yasu made me think of oh, this feels a little bit more coming of age to me. So I think that was that was a major draw for me in the coming of age description. Well, I I, I took it. I took uh, the minor to actually. I know there's a lot of crass jokes about the homonym of minors and minor. But I think that actually is intentional here, would be my guess, uh, that it still refers to the unnamed main character as somebody who at that point was still, you know, uh, a minor, uh, un, un, uncapable, incapable of, like, understanding their, their situation or having that, that nice little patina on them. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I think it's significant, like, basically everyone's assessment of him that he meets cruel or not is correct <laughs> like right. they all get what they want out of him or like understand that he's a f not gonna hack it or whatever everyone's kind of right everyone's indirectly kind of trying to teach him a lesson and and they're that is correct about like they know him because of course he doesn't actually ever become a minor He's, no, he's diagnosed with bronchitis and denied <laughs> denied uh, the role of minor, and he just he's he's just the mind bookkeeper for five months, and then goes back to Tokyo. Yeah, he yeah. has one tour. It's kind of shitty, and then he's like, "You're so you're sickly and and rich. You need to not. <laughs> Maybe you can count all the beans all the people eat when they get indebted to the uh, company store, and that's what you could do." But I think you're right, Matt. And I think it's it's interesting to think about the the minor minor thing there, uh, because you know he he says at one point, and and there is there there is a lot of that sort of like, yeah, he really is what most most of the people accuse him of being, which is just naive and green and unable, like can't hack it and should probably just go home. And I mean, <laughs> at one point he's talking about like, you know, he's sort of talking about his own. Um, inability to understand like society and social forces and just sort of like he's like I always thought that society was basically just like the 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 total collection of people that live together in a certain place and right, like, yeah and like that's society um, <laughs> and you know and then he and then he kills Batman um, <laughs> yeah he gets jokerified a little bit for real Anyway, uh, yeah, so here's the here's the actual passage. I did want to find it, but um, so he says, uh, maybe because I was standing in his corner, I could not bring myself to believe that Yasu had committed a crime that made it necessary for him to run away. What I needed to believe was that society was at fault. Society had killed Yasu. But as I say, I did not even know what society was. I just assumed that society was people. And it made even less sense to me why people would have killed a good man like Yasu. And so it, it's sort of like even in recalling his memories of that time, there's that there's that naivete there. And we're we're joking about about the Joker, but it does make it it's still prescient. It's still shit that people are fucking discussing in earnest. You know what I mean? Like he literally basically says, "We live in a society." We live in a society, and it makes pe some people mad when it treats them wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's just literally what happens in this book. Uh, yeah, and and. The other thing he really grapples with, uh, and I, I won't try and find all the random little snippets I highlighted, but just like he has a really tough time with um, contradictions hmm. or or sort of untenable states of being, yeah. which to be fair is uh, definitely 
a cause of a lot of neuroses and pain, psychic pain, but like, you know, he's really starting to grapple with that for real in the story, I think, of just like how people can be two-faced and how his uh, his mood can, can flip-flop so erratically um, and he can believe one thing wholeheartedly and then another within the span of like a minute. Which is something that's tough to, like you said, Paul, like you're 19, like that's something that, I mean, certainly bothered me at that age, like the inconsistency of myself and like what comprised, I guess, my like quote unquote personality, like all all that stuff weighed really heavy on me for sure. Yeah. I mean, one thing I want to talk about too, um, this is such like a, a care, like a main character driven story, but he, he ends up at this mine with, I mean, the mine's huge. I don't think we talked about how big the mine is. Like, he ends up going into a barracks where he sleeps with the bedbugs with 10,000 human beings. Like, they're, they're, there's 10,000 of them. It's a huge mine. And they, uh, like, one thing he's promised by the guy who, I forget the guy who. Chozo. Chozo. He, he chose Chozo him, is which is funny. Yeah. <laughs> follow, follow at Blant Chosen on Twitter. <laughs> well chozo promises him like li- listen you want to be a miner it's gonna be fucking great dude you, you you're gonna be you're gonna make tons of money at this mine you're gonna be yeah, he's like a awesome. he's like a military recruiter yeah he's basically a military recruiter and he re- he recruits like two other young boys and i thought the the first like 50 pages when they're going to the mine were actually maybe my favorite part we haven't really talked about that yet but i i love all of that but um you know this 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 book is so much about this main character who's just like basically like a privileged runaway rich boy. But there's 10,000 other people in this book that are, they have a couple pages of description where they're just like described as being like deathly, disturbingly, like disgusting looking because of the conditions that they live in. Essentially, just. And, Yes. Yeah, he basically describes them as animals, but they, he also describes class, which has a lot of class implications. It does, but it also his the narrator also differentiates later that like uh, his description of them at the time were like that was really wrong of him to say. So he does have some self reflection on him describing them as animals, but. Nevertheless, like this, this story was interesting to me because it's like, it's so heavily focused on this main character, but it does bring to life so much of a horrible cultural reality of the time that is also heavily described in the foreword. Um, but yeah, I, I like the, the dichotomy of this one singular privileged character going in to have a a life lesson or just like a life i don't know coming of age story even though we didn't know that was what was happening with all these other people that are having this life that they can't get out of and it, it like kind of devalues his whole story to me just like what whatever qualms you're having it doesn't fucking matter because you could leave this mine at any time you could leave right now and go back to daddy in tokyo it is um, all these <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I do think it, it it certainly is uh it falls into the category of what we might call today like 
you know, poverty tourism or something, or like, you know, when the, you know, rich people just move, you know, get an Airbnb in a poor neighborhood for a night, just, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and there is, I, I would, I would argue there is a little bit of awareness of that in the text. At one point, Yasu, who, who, you know, it's, it's tempered because they are of the same sort of class originally, but Yasu has sort of abandoned it for various reasons. He says to him, you know, you know, oh, I, I wish I had the privilege of like deciding to not show my face anywhere for even a day, you know? Um, yeah. I think Murakami even in the forward, he, you know, he's obviously like critical of Sosuke for his position, you know, uh, but I would say he's overly critical just because of the same thing. I got the sense that the author was like, aware of how this person came across and he's very specifically supposed to be posh and a soft 19 year old fucking rich boy who rich boy bitch boy feels yeah feels a little fucking fucking bitch boy (laughs) feels a little melancholy and wants to kill himself and is just his decision to kill himself is constantly he's eagerly taking any excuse not to it's pretty clear and like You know, even when he's thinking about it, he's like, oh, well, now I want it to be aesthetic. I want to, like, go to, like, the Kabu, whatever, fucking waterfall <laughs> yeah. and do it yes. and stuff. Like, he, And then eventually he just fucks off. He does, like, five months, and then he just he leaves after getting a, a you know, a, car, a, a fucking note from his doctor. It's and ba- it's just- he basically does Teach for America and then goes to work for McKinsey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so there might even be, like, a meta critique there of just, like, this person, or I don't know, man. It's just like he wrote this little thing, but it's most again, it's mostly like these uh, observations about a mental state, and right. and the mind just sort of is this uh, metaphor slash yeah, sort of uh, poverty tourism opportunity to uh, to be with the these kind of like salt of the earth degenerates as the as he keeps saying. And he literally talks about you know oh I'm just I'm gonna I'm 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 and I thought, you know, I think obviously like all of this ha- would have had a different valence and resonance when it was released. But like, to me now hearing him be like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm starting my training in degeneracy. Like, being here. I mean, it's hard to ant- have anticipated that words. Well, not, not, not even degeneracy specifically, but like, you know, just the like, I'm, I'm here to like, learn and do some training for a little while. And like, I can always this isn't my life, right? The point is like, this is never yeah. actually my life. Um, yeah. I'm here. There's always an out. It's always, yeah, exactly. It's always implied that it's temporary. There's always an out. Um, I never have to sort of like, uh, uh, you know, reckon with what it would mean to be here every day forever. Yeah. And I think that the, the two, uh, the two boys, he goes to the mining camp with. Bat boy and red blanket. I love the description. New Marvel of series. Yeah. Red Blanket's so funny. Like, he's just Which, like. Did you read the footnotes? Apparently, Red Blanket is just a synonym for bump, like country farmer bumpkin. Yeah. Yeah. So, just him saying that again, basically. But I, I love the first, like, the first time he sees Red Blanket, who is basically just a probably like a 12 year old boy who wandered <laughs> into whatever Chuzo's town and was just like there wearing a red a red uh blanket i don't even know blanket <laughs> uh michael but, jackson's kid 
But uh, I don't know. I don't know how you guys felt about those two, like those first fifty pages where he's like traveling up the mountain with those guys. But I thought, I thought those were awesome. There was like like some scary moments in there too, and some very humorous moments. But also, you, you get a good description of these young kind of like mountainous boys, and you kind of later <laughs> discover <boys>. that <laughs> you kind of <laughs> later discover that these are the people that end up at the mine for life too. And he he has the he has this disconnect with these people that are kind of around his age, where he's just like, I'm scared of these boys. I don't think I have anything in common with these boys, and it's kind of, you know, projected into how he is at the mine too. He's like, there's no way he's going to be one of these people like for a long period of time. Like, there's no way. There's a huge disconnect in class, yep. and and also the. Never, the like uh the way the book is set up i liked that too and i think part of that was because what you start to feel maybe a bit is this sense of a narrative maybe developing where you're like okay this person wanders out of the mist in a sort of endlessly repeating sequence of trees in this forest and now boom an event he meets this fucking guy in a tea house and goes toe-to-toe with him eating fried manju or whatever and then like you're like and now he's got a goal and like yeah so that's like the first time you get hooked with like an event and like you're like all right maybe this is a novel and then the guy and then sosuke is still like no man this this character this isn't a character this is like uh you're you're never gonna see him again yeah like like, he actually he like clearly says that when when they (laughs) leave the picture like chuzo red blanket and the other boy they they end up like going to another aspect of the mining community and Ch- and Chuzo's just like out of the picture. He's gonna be like back trying to recruit people. Yeah, he got and his he, headhunter's fee and he's gone. Yeah, and he the Sosuke clearly says like, uh, and that was the last time I saw them. I never saw them again. So well, you're like, and oh, he makes a, and he makes a meta narrative comment on the novel, the book itself. So so this is on one sixteen, Paul. This is when at the end there, he says talking about Red Blanket and and the Bat Boy. Um, Once Chozo took them off, I never heard from them again. I never once ran into them in the mine. What a strange business. I had fallen in with the Red Blanket who had come flying out of the eatery and with the boy who had suddenly materialized on the dusky mountainside. We had led and followed each other through the summer night and slept together beneath the dilapidated thatched roof, finally reaching our aimed for boiler after another half day in the clouds, only to have the Red Blanket and the boy suddenly disappear into nothingness. At this rate, my book will never turn into a novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I underlined that that too. And so it's just, it's so self-aware and it's so, I mean, I would say like one of the other major, major concerns, major themes of the book is this question of writing and novelization and character and this sort of like, you know, and I think that probably is, is that probably has a lot to do with the circumstances uh, uh in which the book was written, which was basically uh, Saseki had had to like take over for another novelist who couldn't write a serialized novel for a magazine and had to like slap this together out of some notes he had taken um, from interviewing a minor boy um, and turn it into a, a story. Yeah, it could be one of these necessity mother of invention deals. Mm-hmm. for sure 
And it definitely like rewired my thinking about it when I heard that that was the case. Because it does kind of turn it less into a, a highly intentional exercise or less less intentional, but still, you know, like, oh, I found an escape hatch to an issue for a job and a deadline. <laughs> right. It's, you know, that doesn't detract from what 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 you know was created out of it but still and i think we should probably talk a little bit about the kind of like historical cultural context of it right like this is all this is all written in and around the time where there was a huge like copper mine riot in the country where like 700 people were arrested and they used dynamite on like the the bosses houses outside the mine which is fucking Sick. badass yeah no one was killed i'm not endorsing uh assassination um, that's right no one was i'm not endorsing assassination uh or even killing your boss at this time on this podcast um, <laughs> but uh it was it, it was it was it, this was a huge sort of political and cultural moment where there was this huge there were these huge copper mines specifically the, the, the one that Murakami thinks this story is based on, which is the Ashio copper mine. And that's where the riot was. And this was a big sort of political thing in the country. And I think it's interesting that it's that, that aspect of, of it is never explicitly direct, uh, you know, explicitly um, um, touched on in the actual text. It's all very subjective. It's all very about the character and the, the sort of wider political context is like, at best like hinted at well i wonder what the publication was I, I i would like to know more about the publication he was writing this story for as well because i feel like that's again once again once you go into context and stuff like that it's like i wonder what they would have felt about that you know i've heard plenty of horror stories about journalists and stuff you know and they're kind of uh pulling punches based on <laughs> what might be a funding problem or whatnot well, I, I like the I like the thought experiment of of how Sosuke potentially thought of the whole rioting and everything because uh, Mirakami basically says that he believes he was kind of an elitist upper upper echelon like professor at a college that didn't really care about these people. I think right, and uh, he basically yeah. says that in, a, in basically a summary. But you can't. You can't read the descriptions of the miners by Sosuke in this novel without coming to some political conclusion, at least a hinted at political conclusion that like this kind of lifestyle and this kind of way people live is horrendous and horrible. Even if it, even if the, if Sosuke's like main idea for writing this was solely based on the main character's like experience, you still get that experience from the other people even if it wasn't intentionally written by him you know if that wasn't his intention you still get that um yeah you can I, I think there's there's like it's it's you know at, from a contemporary standpoint there's there's less identification than you would want but there's certainly empathy uh i would say yeah and there's you, there's totally empathy yeah and even the stuff that's like um, sort of uh, emphasized as as being an example of cruelty with the miners and their kind of like 
callousness towards all things delicate and life and stuff was when you know when they uh there's a there's a dying character named kin who clearly has black long or consumption or whatever classic miners ailment there is uh and he's 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 gonna croak soon and and there's this thing called a jangle which is essentially a funeral <laughs> procession where they bang pots and pans and stuff <laughs> which i and think they're like, is the best is the best name for a funeral ever a jangle <laughs> it's pretty sick <laughs> But they were like, but there's a little scene because uh, the main character is at this point, like kind of it's his first night in the boiler and he's observing everybody and the kin is going to die. And all the miners are just like hearing this funeral procession and they're like, yo, kin, you probably going to want to look at this. And they're yeah, like, like kin, watch this, watch yeah. this jangle, kin. <laughs> yo, this is going to be you soon, homie. And watch like this jangle. But there's also the, the, a scene afterward or proceeding where like they're discussing the afterlife earnestly and i think these are meant to occur in rapid succession and i don't think they're meant to just be uh, uh examples of of ignorance or like i don't think they're meant to be jokes altogether I, it, it feels like it's these kind of it's showing these people empathetically to the extent that sosuke is able to uh kind of grappling with the same issues and, and having humanity essentially yeah, I think um, it's it's sort of interesting. Like the 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 question of whether or not the miners are viewed with empathy, either by the the narrator or by Sasaki himself, is really interesting because I think certainly like the narrator the narrator is quite cruel when talking about the miners generally. Totally. Other than, other than Yasu, I mean, like so like. But but even then he has this sort of like you were saying earlier, Matt, these this sort of contradictory experience where it oscillates like wildly within a very short period of time. So right near the end on 231, uh, when he's on his way to the infirmary to get checked out finally, he's walking, and I'll I'll read the paragraph and then I want to read another paragraph after just to show the sort of progression, I guess, or oscillation. So the weather, at least, was beautifully clear and bright. Against the mountain walls, which seemed to have been torn out of the red earth, the sun was shining. Saturated with two days of rain, the earth and the eastern sun evidenced no signs of drying out. Instead, it was absorbing all the rays the sun could give it. The showy scene was tempered by the moist softness within. Viewed from between one boiler and the next, the mountains below thickly overlay one another in a burst of blue. The wind had died. The air felt a good 15 degrees warmer than the night before. By the side of the road, a single dandelion was in flower, its lovely color almost wasted here. This too was more than the savages deserved. And that's pretty yeah. that's pretty dark. But but then that's really dark. <laughs> but then he goes to the doctor, who essentially he calls the doctor accuses him of being essentially a social sponge and leeching off of his parents and society, and then tells him he has bronchitis and says, fuck off. Um, <laughs> and then and then on his way back, he sort of has a one of these like like whiplash moments when thinking about himself and the miners. He says, I came upon the dandelion I had noticed on my way down. Before its color had struck me as too beautiful for this place, but now it made no impression on me at all. I stood there a while looking at it and wondering why it had seemed so beautiful, but still it was not beautiful. Then I started walking again, climbing the gradual slope. I naturally turned my face upward. As always, there were miners looking down at me from the barracks, chin on hand. Their faces, which on the way down had filled me with such loathing, now seemed like clay dolls' heads. 
They were not ugly, not frightening, not hateful. They were just faces, as the face of the most beautiful woman in Japan is just a face. And I was exactly like these men, a human being of flesh and bone, entirely ordinary and entirely meaningless. And, <laughs> oh man, that's, <laughs> that's, hell yeah. Yeah. That's well, there's also shit. just a more, a more ground, I, I, I'm just now going through highlights, but like, there was this other thing that felt more in line with the more concrete kind of like societal, uh, I don't know, you know, analysis and the inheritance of, of expectation and stuff where it's like, so the experience of entering middle school had led me to believe that you couldn't be hired even as a minor without following the appropriate procedures. I had been assuming that some personal referee or guarantor or somebody would have to place his seal on some kind of document and that, when that time came, I would ask Chozo to do it for me, which is like earlier on when he's just kind of like surprised at how easy it was for him to get like stamped and approved to just go fucking be a, a, a laborer. But yeah, I don't know. There are enough of these moments of just uh, naivety where he's not aware of how complicated some things are and how basic and, and brutally simple other things are. Yeah, well, I think that really points to his naivety in the beginning. I mean, he's just, he's so young and naive and like lost and emotionally lost that he, he can't even like grasp the foundation of like, like how the world of a minor works. Like he, he can't even grasp that like, it doesn't matter. They're, they're trying to get anyone to be a fucking minor. Right, could, they're throwing bodies matter. at this problem. They're, it's it's literally a matter of yeah. bodies. They're just like, yeah, you don't have to have a uh, interview at all. It's just like, do you want to be a minor? <laughs> I really wish you got the information about where this person ended up, though. I I do feel that lack. Like I don't know. It's kind of actually, you know what it reminds me of is is when we were reading. We didn't do an episode, but when you're reading uh, Kafka on the Shore, like we don't know what the fuck. Again, Murakami. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't finished that. I haven't finished that. Spoiler alert! Don't give me. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Uh, Norwegian Wood. I'm sorry. Oh, Norwegian uh, Wood. Okay. Same, same structure where it's a little bit where it's like a young person grasping his way through his early years, uh, as told partially by the adult version of themselves doing at this point something you'd never find out what it is. Yeah, well, yeah, I thought about that. I think that that's because point. Murakami is is obviously influenced by Natsume Sosuke. I I think that like I was trying to grasp like how he is, and I think it's he likes he likes to take out like giant holes in the story, like Sosuke did in this book, like huge holes relieved from the plot. I think that Murakami's books tend to have a lot more plot in this book but there are still giant holes missing that I think he might have been influenced by Sosuke because of this book. Like, I'm just going to take out a huge whole thing that you wish you could know about that I'm not going to tell you. And I actually like that about Murakami. And I like that about this book too. I, I, actually, I actually don't mind too much that we know next to nothing about where the main character ends up what he does after the mine i think it's actually like 
it'll keep me it'll keep my mind occupied for a long time thinking like what the hell did he do afterwards but i also i also like the idea of where like it doesn't fucking matter what he did he's he's a rich boy from tokyo whatever what doesn't matter he did something successful because his dad was rich it doesn't fucking matter you know it, you don't it, even that's know if don't, that's I, true it's 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 my assumption uh and he's clearly matured to the point where he's like i'm cringing basically at myself and these right. mistakes but like but he yeah. also there's a, there's also like a big section not a big section but a couple pages where he talks about like how he's become arrogant and that it's okay to be arrogant i think he, remember that remember those passages where he's just like oh no. yeah he, he he blatantly says that like in my older age i have become arrogant and i think it's okay to be arrogant and i feel like uh when i was younger i was afraid of that but i feel totally different than my younger self now and now I'm just confident and arrogant. I think, and I think, mm, my, I, the there's a lot of um. I I, I think what uh, seems like to be dancing around the edges is is the question of agency, a little bit, or um. How much of yourself is ever intentionally doing some anything, <laughs> or you know. These things about uh, consciousness and behavior or whatever, I, 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 I'm not in a position right now <laughs> to like go into a discussion of consciousness or something. I don't really know. I do know that there was a lot of imagery uh, of him being a robot or some sort of automata. Um, again. Well, he does get into this whole sort of situation with Chozo at the very beginning, like in a very kind of... Um, almost like an inverse Bartleby situation where like Chozo's like, Hey man, like, do you want to come get a job as a minor? And his reply is, I don't mind. (laughs) Whatever. And he says that like two or three times to different things. Chozo asks him if he wants to do. And it's sort of like this, like he is kind of like swept along uh, uh, by forces that are alien to himself. Um, for a good chunk of the story. Yeah. Here, there's a there's a random... See, okay. Savages who are more machine than human, but more animal than machine. Yeah. I, 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 that's almost confusing to me. That like, sounds like a math equation. Yeah. It's like, who do you want to sit with on the bus? Uh, yeah, so I, I just... Uh, I have yet to witness an act of flattery that managed to work as well as sheer good luck. Like These the, are just all random things, you know, some of which I agree with, but it's, it's just, yeah, it's more just like you as this, this creature is this, uh, it, it, it does class matter. There's clearly elitism and dismissal, but like this person is dealing with the same stuff about himself being an animal or a robot. And then, using that same imagery on these people who he considers beneath him and he's never squaring that, but he is talking a lot about contradictions and untenable notions and all this kind of stuff is just sort of swirling around here while not concluding because he's not a character, which is another idea. It's just, I don't know. I think it works really well. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think that the, the idea of meaninglessness was a big theme in this book. For me and uh, 
Gabe, what that that last passage you read about like him kind of feeling this like connection with the miners because he had this moment of feeling meaningless himself and then like every other character feeling meaning meaningless to him as well um i don't know it, it, the whole the, the whole notion of that theme felt really really extremely dark to me that like he felt like his role from tokyo as he is coming to this mine was just totally meaningless and these people that he meet meets are also meaningless and he had this like overwhelming notion that like the whole system or the whole world was meaningless uh 19 that was yeah it it felt very (laughs) 19 to me but i also i don't know I'm not explaining why why is well. he out there, man? He's out there because what he cheated on his like like uh appointed bride. Yeah. yeah. It's a girl. Yeah, he's out there. He's out he's there. He's a SoundCloud rapper. He's literally he's tripping off a bitch. <laughs> and he ran away to become a minor because he's a little crybaby who can't deal with his problems. And he's like, yeah. I don't know what this, this is. Such a this is so intense. What's happening right now? I might as well die. I just want to yeah. fucking die. Yeah, it's. I, I actually, I actually feel like it's this. It's that. It's almost that like opposite of meaningless feeling that you have when you're that age, where you're, everything is so intensely imbued with meaning <laughs> that it's like this is the only meaningful thing, the most meaningful thing. Is right. That, yeah this problem that I am having that I will forget in a month. Yeah. That's a very 17 to 19 year old feeling. I wanted to read this passage. But I'm feeling 22. (laughs) Gonna go work (laughs) in a mine and maybe kill myself too. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to read this passage because I didn't understand it. And I wanted to see if you guys did Gabe. It's on 99. Let's unpack this bad um, boy. It's it's actually Let's just the last. This bad boy. <laughs> Hell yeah, and that's going to be a new phrase we do for sure. It's it's the last sentence of this passage, but I'll read I'll read the whole thing. Uh, okay, so it says, "Whenever I recall those days, along with the memories, comes the conviction that I was the most obedient, dutiful person imaginable." It has even it has even crossed my mind that the way I was then is the way soldiers always had to be. And this has brought with it the realization that if one is able to ignore the use of an object, one is also able to forget the use of an object. And that last sentence to me, I'm just like, what does that fucking mean? I'm sorry, what page did you say that was on, Paul? It was on 99. And the last sentence again was, and this has brought with it the realization that if one is able to ignore the use of an object, one is also able to forget the use of an object. Oh yeah. Okay. So I actually think I, I highlighted that paragraph, but in a different part, I highlighted the lines above that. And I think those lines are pretty key to understanding the part that you just read. So, um, uh, so what did you highlight? So for, for context, this is when they have to stop for the night, um, to stay in this person's house that Chozo knows, um, because they won't be able to make it over the mountain, uh, that night if they try and have to wait until morning. 
Um, and so Chozo says, I'll read up to where Paul started. To me, he said, you'd never make it over the mountain if we tried crossing now, kid. We'll stay here tonight. Everybody come inside. The moment I heard this, my passivity blew apart and the flesh sagged on my bones. Not even with this barn staring me in the face had the thought crossed my mind that spending a night here could give me such relief. We had found a place to rest, but I was probably still too passive to even think of resting. This goes to show that human beings are the easiest things there are to control. They'll take the most outlandish orders with profound respect and far from putting up a fuss, they'll thank you for them. Which I, the reason I highlighted that is because that's another sort of Beckett moment where that, like, that's, that's exactly the type of thing Beckett believes and you know, writes about all the time. But I think what, what, what he's talking about, Paul, is like he's, he's literally just taking orders from Chozo without really thinking about it. And um, you know, it, it, this whole thing, question about use is like, if you, I think that relates back to his, his thinking about human nature, right? Insofar as human nature implies a certain type of like Aristotelian teleological like use for, for, for being alive or for your life or for humanity. Um, if you can get to the point where you can ignore that, <laughs> where you can ignore what you're supposed to do with your life, who you're supposed to be, um, et cetera, et cetera, you start to you know, forget it and can kind of, you become malleable and you become um, this sort of like formless clay that can be shaped by other forces. Right, there's there, the, the meaning yeah, the solidity and meaning of something starts to leave it. Right. Which is, once again, yeah, like a theme that runs the whole, like a vein of ore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love, I, oh, how much did you guys love? I don't, I don't think I uh, highlighted it. But I love Yasu describing himself as like, no human being should ever smell like copper. And I, yeah. <laughs> and I, smell, yeah. I smell like fucking copper. <laughs> yeah i thought there were some really some really beautiful passages there too i mean throughout the book really but particularly like oh i got a good one for you guys please i i highlighted this one felt very beckett to me go on uh this is my Beckett. i don't know who he is well i will not <laughs> wise up uh get with uh, it let's <laughs> This is when he's climbing those like 15 ladders to get out of the bottom of the mine. Uh, but it just says hands and legs moving, moving hands and moving legs invisible, groping to live, living to climb, to climb was to, or to live was to climb, to climb was to live. And still the ladders were there above me. <laughs> that, that, yes. I was like, oh, so good. That's so good. Oh and sick so i just like yeah and i can't so, go on i'll go on yeah exactly i i, I just I, I i that i remember that line i absolutely love that and I, I just feel like the whole there's so many moments in the mind um here's another one this is when he's talking to yasu and i felt like the whole vibe describing the mind and like the far off like 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 dim lights and clanking of like workers like that you can vaguely hear in the, the bohemian rhapsody music video like faces coming out of the dark i'm just like oh oh my god is this dark souls <laughs> <laughs> is this dead town or whatever that skeleton village is yeah I, i'm pretty sure yasu is a dark souls npc yeah um okay so he says 
then from the neighboring worksite, there came the clanging sound of ore being chipped from the rock. Thinking back on it now, I wish I had learned exactly how many feet beneath the surface of the earth lay this place in which Yasu and I faced each other without speaking. Such chance encounters are rare enough in a big city, but almost impossible in the depths of a mine. To think that there could be a stage far down in a sunless hole where two men forgotten by the world, by other men, by history, and even by the sun, were bestowing sacred teachings and shedding precious tears. Surely no one could know this but the men themselves who sat cross-legged upon the earth, gazing wordlessly at each other. Like, love it. It's a vibe. Yeah. It is a vibe. But also, that whole encounter with Yasu, I was just thinking, like, what a fucking magnificently tedious venture you took into this mine to have a connection with another person who was a little bit older than you that was having struggles in their life. Like you could you could have met Yasu like the equivalent in a coffee shop in in Tokyo, but you you had this connection with this upper echelon miner in this mine. And he was the one. He was the one miner that you had a connection with. The Could rest you? of the miners are The rest of the miners are bullshit, nothing animal people. But this <laughs> one miner was the one that taught you a lesson. I don't know. I I th like I disagree. It was a. It was like an interesting chance encounter, but like I I just kept thinking like you're going to the ends of the earth, dude, to have this meaningful connection about your life. But you end up going back to Tokyo five months later anyway, and you have a normal life. Like, what did the, what did this whole story mean to your existence, really? You got to have did that visceral. You got to do it. It was. I mean, I, I I'm not saying it wasn't interesting and and unique and cool, but I'm just saying that like, what did he actually learn from it, really? Like the well, connection the he had, with, like. Did this guy change at all? Or did it just feel like some profound moment to him? And ultimately he just winds up, like Matt said, like just fucking off after a few months and then becomes a kind of bitter old guy who views the whole the whole the whole affair as deeply cringe. Um right. Well, here's here's a description of part of his experience with talking to Yasu is since he was such a gentleman, I wanted to be as much of a gentleman as possible fearing that if I weren't, I'd lose face. And there's a lot of this, like, you, you, there is always this constant repetition of, like, him just mirroring whatever the fuck person and their attitude is, which is why he's just a tofu guy. Like, he's just, like... Well, fuck. it's it's worse. Yeah. It's worse than that, though. It's worse than that, though, because he doesn't... He mirrors people that he finds, like, should be equal to him or should be mirrored. No. Because when he when he interacts with the with the miners, he like doesn't really respect them. How is he that? He doesn't mirror? want to mirror them. It's worse than mirroring. He doesn't he doesn't even give them the benefit of the doubt to mirror them. Yasu is dark link in the water temple, and you have to meet him and fight him, and he mirrors <laughs> he is you and he mirrors your every move. <laughs> Before you can progress and leave the temple again, he's Yasu is Dark Link, right? And so whoever okay. who created which? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Do we fill you with too much uh, to think about? Dank knowledge. I have to go uh, shit out all of these high level ideas. <laughs> 
Hey, listen, uh, Link is Japanese, so it's all. <laughs> oh no! That that edit that out. Come on. Raw. Raw. <laughs> Although it would be a little, it would be more appropriate if Dark Link was in the Fire Temple, but. Hey, I wish Dark Link was in Dark Souls. Dark Souls for Dark Link. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think that the the more I mean, obviously, I think his relationship to the miners is complicated. But I, I do. I, I it felt pretty clear to me that Yasu is supposed to be a sort of like, uh, f- you know, forward projection of who he would become, and therefore, base essentially a stand in for for him. Yeah, I, I don't think. I, I just uh, the leeway I was giving it was more just like this nine. This is how a nineteen-year-old rich kid would react totally. for the by the you know in his first encounter with people not in that echelon of society, right? And I was so I was giving more of the benefit of the doubt of like he's inhabiting this character, but you know I I don't know enough about the author to be like you know this this is completely out of the ordinary for him or this is. A cheeky way for him to get these social critiques off especially in some sort of magazine that's maybe a little more conservative or for the uh the learned upper echelons of tokyo as well and they would be pissed if he was like super pro you know, ashio mine union or something yeah 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 that totally and and to be fair i don't know anything and nothing is really they don't really say anything in any of the um, supplementary texts about sort of the nature of the publication. I think that's a really interesting question too, Matt. And also we just keep, like we said, it's just, I, I've, no, I've read nothing else and everyone's just like, this is not representative well, which is of, funny because of what he writes. That's now twice on this, on this podcast that I've read a, a notable author and the first book that I've read of theirs has been like, one that everyone's like that's not it like when we read Norwegian Wood I was like this is not what I expected from what I know about Murakami and Paul I know you were like no 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 <laughs> yeah and then Fuck. and then apparently apparently this is the sort of same same thing where this book is not um it's it's ignored even by people who study him academically basically I had Which is met- actually, I think, is like a bigger contrast between Miracom- like Norwegian Wood and the rest of Mirakami's uh, publications. I think this True. is probably like a, a much bigger dichotomy. Mm. Um, and that, I that am kicked him in- off, right? What? That book was actually, that book's like the opposite. That's like what launched him into stardom. I'm actually right? not sure. I think he had a, he had a really slow start, like build up i don't think that like norwegian would set him off i think he had some short short stories that actually like he was already on his way but uh i think norwegian would might have been his like third or fourth novel so he had some mystical mirakami novels before that (laughs) (laughs) what else (laughs) the question to end all questions I, I thought, I mean, one thing that I just thought I would note is that I was reading, and I know, you know, um, being the, the the only person on this podcast that does my homework, I read the... Um, Whoa, oh, okay. Why are we just going to slide that shit no, in there? No, no, I don't believe that. You guys are amazing. <laughs> um, but I did read oh, the afterword. I did read the afterword, and he makes a comment um, that... Uh, 
that this the book is um he's he uses the phrase worthless as travel literature um and i actually don't agree with that because i thought the it was in because he's like oh it only gives us a little mini glimpse of the miners and blah 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 and it's more about the in, internal you know psychological stuff and i don't know if i agree with that because i agree with what you were saying earlier paul which is that the the whole sort of lead up through the you know hiking up the mountain past these sort of provincial like towns and these like like uh, you know the, the, the I thought that the description of the fog was very evocative and like I don't know I really really enjoyed that first third of the book yeah me too so I agree with you there. I actually I actually think that um overall I really love this book but I I do think that like I didn't expect it to go where it was the where it ended up and I think that like the first third where he's traveling and then he gets to the mine the mind section is very, it's very long and it doesn't, I thought there was going to be like another third to the novel maybe. Um, and there really isn't. It's like the first third is him traveling to the mine and then it's just the mine. Cause and, there's so much detail at every, at every point. Yeah. And there's really just what two points really. It's just mm -hmm. like him going to the mine and then he's at the mine and then it, it's over. It's, a, it's like a two, it's like a two act structure. And I, I, I feel compelled yeah. to just read the last paragraph. Of course. Uh, okay. I, I, we all, I think we all highlighted that probably. It's like, Does anyone like, else mad? You want to read it? No, no, you're better. I don't know if that's true. Um, so, so, all right. So this is the last paragraph of the story. The next day, I took my place in a corner of the kitchen and went through the motions of keeping the books. Suddenly, the miners began treating me differently. Um, now, instead of despising me, they went out of their way to butter me up, and I promptly started training to be a degenerate. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that might be a typo. La uh, later, the mines rice and the bed bugs ate me. Every day, procurers would show up from the towns with new pigeons, and every day they'd bring more kids. I used part of my monthly four yen to buy the kids sweets. Later, though after I had decided to go back to Tokyo, I stopped doing that. I performed my duties as a bookkeeper for five months. Then I went back to Tokyo. That's all there is to my experience as a miner and every bit of, is true, a bit of it is true, which you can tell from the fact that this book never did turn into a novel. <laughs> <laughs> which in itself as a kind of final even sentence, I think is is kind of interesting and correct I mean, a lot of the time. I'll just I'll just flat out say it's one of the most bizarre endings of a book I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. Again, I'm 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 a little conflicted about constantly referencing Murakami's forward, but like he did kind of describe this thing which it anticipated which was uh for lack of a better word the 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 postmodern novel, right? And yeah. like the pleasure of um you know like an ending inferred through a lack of an ending or something like that like i forget how he describes it like a desiccated pleasure or like a hungry <laughs> yeah i don't know i i but I, I did find it to be accurate to like how i felt by the end it's also funny that that um just thinking about it now matt thinking about this theme of sort of like contradiction and sort of 
um, you know, trying to sort of live within contradiction and make sense of contradiction. That last sentence is almost a sort of performative contradiction in and of itself, right? It's like, it's almost one of those, it's, it's, it's like, it's like a, it's like the, you know, Magritte pipe painting. It's just like, it's like the final sentence of your novel is this is not a novel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it was really effective from that perspective too. Well, there's a, there's something said that I highlighted, but, ah, fuck, but like, just mostly he's describing, he starts to become self-aware even of his own suicidal tendencies. And uh, I thought it was really funny in a dark way where he was just like, I'm starting to suspect that the ideal situation for me would, would be to die and come back to life over and over again. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, that is also a vibe, my friend. That was that was the same. That was relatable. Yeah. Um, and that's what the ending of the whole book also feels like a bit. Right. Yes. Like both states of being and unbeing. <laughs> are uh, equally valid and I wish I could encompass the entirety of, of that ad infinitum, but no. And I think the, yeah, I think the sort of like, yeah, there's a basic kind of like bummer reading, which, you know, I think Murakami entertains in the introduction and then sort of dismisses, which is that like, he just wasn't happy with it and almost like didn't want it to be counted as one of his novels. Um, and so right. was like was like engaging in this sort of performative disavowal throughout the text. Um, but I think Less a novel than an assignment, basically. Yes. So, but I, I find it more interesting and fulfilling to think of it in the other ways. Yeah. I mean, overall- in, in, in this case, literally. Well, that's why I don't do any research about them. <laughs> <laughs> well did you guys think did you guys think it was funny like i i actually thought like the writing style and his dialogue was hilarious like especially yeah. in the first in the first like third of it i thought that it was really funny almost as funny as uh i served the king of england i thought it had a similar vibe of just like bouncing with the with the dialogue that was it made me laugh like a lot. Like he he kind of like poked fun of himself during the writing too. I I don't know. I I was laughing a lot. Uh, I just wanted to know if you guys thought it was as funny as I did. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, hilarious <laughs> is stretch for me. I thought there were a couple funny moments, but I, I I I I mean, I don't know. I didn't think it was like a comedy. There were I there thought was, it was pretty funny, Paul. There were there were definitely some like okay. absurd funny moments, but. I, okay. I think the best I, I was lolling at the like in particular, I suppose, like the um the the 180s and about faces that this guy does uh as a 19-year-old, uh unsure of their own identity by like j just the shit where like he eats a million rancid manju fried manjus because and then suddenly he wants to be like a the supreme gentleman <laughs> with like <laughs> Yatsu and stuff. It's just like all of these kind of whiplash inducing changes of character based on whoever he's dealing with, I thought were really fun, like funny and humorously rendered. And also well, let, let still me, true. Let me read, okay, because I have it highlighted, I'll read uh, when he's talking to the doctor who's examining him at the end. This wasn't even like one of the funniest parts, but I thought this was funny dialogue. 
The doctor says, occupation? No particular occupation. No occupation. How have you supported yourself till now? My parents have done that. Your parents. So you've been spending off of them? Yes, I guess so. So you're a sponge. <laughs> I didn't reply to this. Take your clothes off. I, I, just, <laughs> I, I just thought that was funny, like a funny interaction. And there are like plenty of those just like dry, dry humor interactions throughout the throughout the book that I, I, I just thought were really, really funny. I did think of so I served or I served the King of England just for that one part, just because not that this book is not that this book had the same scene, but just laughing at uh, when they uh, the the Nazi doctor is hefting his penis with a stick. Yeah, and uh, yes. it's just like hell pivotal yeah, phys- scene in that book. Physicals so dehumanizing. Yeah, that's yeah. that's why I don't All have right. done one in ten years. Yeah, that's why I'll never go to a doctor, <laughs> dude. And I'm a yeah. actually a fucking Christian scientist. If I had <laughs> if, if I had cancer down there i would know so I, you know what? <laughs> you're telling me i have cancer in my freaking no-no spot <laughs> well guess what not dealing with it i'm sorry Although i have, poly- I have polyps where nah <laughs> homie you need to pol- you need to Paul shut up. <laughs> Look who's dying then, I guess, huh? <laughs> Should we uh uh move into our our <laughs> well-known <laughs> fan favorite segment? Yeah, I mean they've been it. clamoring for it for at least I, I mean, 30 minutes. I'm getting I'm literally getting hundreds of live tweets every minute. <laughs> To to get to the get to the segment already. That's that's what we got to do it. People what they want. People are just tweeting you like the the John Williams soundtrack right now. That's right. Yes, that's... we did the theme. Um, we did that. That was a reference to Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are we talking about Star Wars? <laughs> he did both. So okay, he did both. So, um, and Jurassic Park. In Jurassic Park. Yeah. So, da, 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 da. Find you a man who could do three. <laughs> which relates, which also relates to this movie because like we didn't talk about how the not a movie. <laughs> he, he, he discovered dinosaurs down in the mines. <laughs> which also relates to. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. I highlighted a, a sentence, which is, "What is this? A Triceratops?" <laughs> yeah, Jul- yeah I Jules. Yeah, Jules Verne. Sosuke is the Japanese Jules Verne. Let's be real. I mean, okay, so I, I mean, I, I personally liked the part where they opened the mummy sarcophagus and Brendan <laughs> Fraser came out. <laughs> and he's like, did you it- five or an eight? And it was actually Robin. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> Come on. I, I, love, I love the part where Brendan Fraser said, I hate mummies. <laughs> I like the part where he said, "Get these motherfucking mummies off my motherfucking." <laughs> I like the part where the main character was like, "I want to kill myself," but then he was like, "Somebody stop me!" <laughs> that was it. Uh, 
There, yeah. So which which motherfucking hat house is the this guy? Do you think? So so well, yeah. This is we've we've uh, entered the the segment which is called we literally just read another book wherein welcome. we indulge our favorite pastime, which is from our favorite non problematic author, and we talk about totally fine non problematic, um, not a hideous lunatic jk no. rowling great book of series of books harry potter <laughs> and um we assign the characters in the book we just read to harry potter houses via the sorting hat uh, official method right so there's not i again i don't think there's a ton of people here i think really there's do. three or four i would say four so but we got to go with our main man first he's a fucking um I mean, I want to say he's a Hufflepuff. Yeah, that was my instinct. He's like the worst type of Hufflepuff, which is just tofu bad. Right. Loyal to whoever comes strolling along his like line of sight, basically. And just like needy and and over like clingy. I disagree. Hard to disagree. Although we do have the question of what is this man now who is exactly Recount, recounting these experiences but like we also said we're not a... trying to do an inside out kind of mixture at, at any point so you got to stay you got to be hardline about your house choice i i think he's a slytherin i think okay. that he have i think he had some hufflepuff tendencies when he was younger at 19 mm-hmm. but because there's the narration when he's older and he's an evil non-caring fuck i think he's a slytherin uh, I don't, I, 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 I get where you're coming from. I, I don't think we, I, I know you're putting, it feels like you're leaning really heavily on that like arrogance passage in that assessment. Uh, I don't think we know enough about him to call him a hateful fuck as an adult. Um, right. I, so I just, I'm not, right. I'm just not comfortable going there. I'm, I'm okay. going to say, uh, um, what's the word sort of, uh, weathered and experienced Hufflepuff. Yeah. I yeah. just disagree. I don't think a Hufflepuff would even leave Tokyo. I just don't think he would have even left. His sense of duty, way, though. I think you're, I think you're way <laughs> off. <laughs> you think a Hufflepuff would go into the mine and be like, I'm going to keep going down these ladders and then walk through waist deep in cold water? Yes. I think you... Do you think a do you think a Slytherin would do something like that even if they didn't want to? No. Mm-hmm. Of course not. I think he was a sh- I think he was ashamed of his Slytherinness, but he, you can be a shameful Slytherin. Whoa, you can be, whoa, whoa. You, can be a, you can be a shameful Slytherin. You can be a rapist Hufflepuff. I mean, it's like two sides of the same coin. No, and don't start throwing that in our face as a way to argue. I'm not throwing it in your face. I'm just <laughs> saying you can be a shame. You can be a shameful Slytherin. I'm it's just possible. saying checkmate. All right, let's. We're gonna go around. <laughs> yeah, it's because you just watched that Netflix series, you fucking normie. So we're gonna. We're so gonna what? The Queen's Gambit's pretty interesting. Um, and <laughs> the final, the final tally is two for Hufflepuff, one for Slytherin. Um, so he's a Hufflepuff uh, officially in All right. in, in uh, Spinecracker's canon. Um, yes, unless you're unless you're a number one fan of Paul, and then you'll say yes, Paul's right. <laughs> And uh, Moon Palace was definitely at least a 4.5 out of 5. So, 
Well, it's even if you're only the even if we count the number one Paul fan, that's only one extra vote, so it's a tie. Um, so <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna move on. Moving um, on. Let's talk about um, Chozo. That's this seems like a slam dunk to me. He's a Slytherin. Yeah. Any any yeah. disagreement? He literally uh, just procures um, feral children for horrible job for money. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Um, let's talk about uh, Hatsu, his his mind guide who uh, abandons him in the mine. Hufflepuff. He's Hufflepuff. He could be a Hufflepuff because I think a lot of his bad treatment of the main character comes from a place of insecurity. But I also think that's a Slytherin trait. So I'm calling him a Slytherin. Yeah, Ooh, but that, that's harsh. not as cut and dried, but I'm going to say Slytherin as well. But like, oh my God. All right. So that's okay. So Slytherin, Slytherin, Hufflepuff. Yep. All right. So then finally, uh, uh, Yasu. Easy Gryffindor for me. Really? Hufflepuff for me. I'm going to go Hufflepuff. Yeah. Okay, why? Because he could have fucking, like, he, he said he had seven years to spend down the mine before his, like, what I presume rape charge was. I thought right? it was murder. I thought he said it was murder, murder. homie. Yeah. Oh, it was murder? Okay. Yeah. So why would, why would only seven years go by and then his murder was fine? Uh, because America is actually an absolute, like, terrible country, and most other countries have statutes of limitations even for murder. I just, like, I feel like there was yeah, something... murder's okay. Murder's fine. I feel like there was something... <laughs> uh, <laughs> there was something left out of his... the Him, his diagnosis, whatever his situation was. I, I got the impression that he was needlessly... Again, the loyalty thing is what really gets me. And it's like he did this thing out of a sense of duty to his girlfriend, wife, whoever, and then is now like taking his lumps in this mine and is now like loyal to the mine or, you know what I mean? Like he's just, he's fixated on this. If he was a Gryffindor, he would go find his fucking, his bay afterwards or I, whatever. Okay. Yeah. I think, I, no. There was, there, Why not? There's a sense of, uh like self-punishment associated with him that was yeah, very helpful. Yeah, flagellating the himself. Here's the thing. Well, okay, listen. I feel like you guys, have, you're still stuck on this. So for every other house, <laughs> we're like, okay, we say, you know, oh, Hufflepuffs can can do, commit murder and do bad things. We say um, Slytherins can, can be, uh, whatever Paul just said, ashamed. Um, Gryffindors, can be like, you know, uh, ha like they're they're not all just like, like strutting chads. And I feel like right. I feel like you you guys have a little uh, like fixated on on literally that that all Gryffindors are chads. And I think that's not true. I guess you're right in the sense that like, the the idea is like, committed to doing the right thing at the cost of their own potential that's comfort or livelihood, sure. but. I'm still and going he with takes the, the 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 main character under his wing in a very nice way when he doesn't have to. He he says he'll get revenge for him on the mean miners. Mm, you're right. That's a Gryffindor. big that's a big aspect. That's Gryffindor. That's that okay. you start. Yeah, it's Gryffindor. You're yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah. 
in the in the in the in a court of his peers, he's won, and it's Gryffindor. Nailed it. Fine. <laughs> you you won that round. All right. Put one in the books uh, for Gabe on <laughs> Harry Potter sorting hat game. You yes. swayed us. I was um, swayed. I think those are the only four that I thought merited a, a house. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really it. Um, okay. Uh, what did you guys think of the book? I thought it was great. I have to go last, though, because I picked it. So okay. if you're... Yeah. Uh, yeah rating are we doing ratings right now or just like miscellaneous okay let's do ratings you ready yeah 3.87 nice (laughs) nice fuck i want all right right. yeah sorry that's my number uh i enjoyed it uh much more than that i thought it was like way better than uh like norwegian wood which i think i gave like a 3.86 um 3.47 uh i thought this was much much better than that for me this is like a this is like a 4.6 a flat Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah. i like that number i like that number yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go four point uh 4.5 <laughs> all right so yeah let's, so let's uh let me let okay i gotta let it go around one more time matt said three point what eight seven yes sir paul i said 4.6 flat paul said can you 4. just make it a 3.9 even sure paul and you said yeah, four point what five two okay good book i i really i really enjoyed it i i thought it was uh just very good yeah good book man i had a great time reading it if it was such a good book why didn't you break four (laughs) i'm trying i'm I'm over i'm overthinking the ratings now was it like was it not like there was too much of a main character there wasn't enough like boring drawl for you there was wait there was no there was no nazi (laughs) literature in there 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 was no nazism yes yeah that's what there was no nazism yeah there was, no one had a, there was a lot of uh, uh, degeneracy, degenerate and... <laughs> discourse, and like genetic elitism, though, and you class think that is really true. antagonism. So, if someone had like a like a, a a mustache and no beard, like a small mustache, would you have said that like so you you're trying to say more? you're trying to say Hitler? You're just doing Hitler and floppy no, hair. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Break I don't know. Like, how would it work? If you break it down, it's like one is terrible, two well, is two is like a super mediocre. I mean, zero is terrible. Like, zero is like zero I, is terrible. I wish I had never read this. My life is worse because I read this. Right. What did I give? Uh, what did I give? Yumswell uh, game. You give it like a point nine, like less than one. <laughs> yeah, that's a- yeah, that's accurate. It no, wasn't no, zero, no, but- that's actually wrong. You gave it your official score was a negative one point nine. Oh, that's not official. If if I were to rehash that, it would be like a point nine, point eight. Uh, so okay, so one is bad then. Yeah, one zero, is very bad. Zero is 
a net negative on my soul and time. Yep. One is bad. Yep. Two is deeply mediocre. Yeah. I, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, yeah. I think, I feel like there's so much ratings inflation. We should probably like not be doing this right now, but for me, <laughs> for me, 2.5 is average, like, cool. Like, yeah, that's a book I read and I don't, I guess it makes sense with the five, right? It's yeah. like 2.5 is like deeply normal, normal status. You know, nothing even, again, nothing to even scoff at necessarily. No. Like 2.5, not like uh, abysmal. Uh, so then like three is like good. Three is good. Four is like. Awesome. Very good. Awesome. And then five is like life-changing life cha- life fucking, you know, that's how I'm, I'm trying to go by those, that gradation. Yeah. Yeah. And like, what, what do we have? The, the mountain lion, we all have fives for yeah i stand by that that's a great yeah me too i mean i i think that 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 shit was amazing like i don't yeah yeah (laughs) insanely good every line was great and i would also say the hobbit was a five (laughs) right (laughs) slob of my hob we're still recording huh yeah we are which oh (laughs) (laughs) i was just i was operating on a whole other os at this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, bye guys. Thanks for listening. Bye. bye. I love you. Bye.